Welcome to The Daily Cut, a podcast of Park Community Church. I'm Trevor Lovell, the pastor from our New North location. Throughout this season, we wanted to create something consistent that would help add even a little sense of rhythm to life. And so to do that, we created The Daily Cut, where we've been posting a short devotional every day. And so we hope you'll continue to join us and that you'll enjoy listening. This is The Daily Cut, and I'm Trevor Lovell. All right. Good to be with you all. Hope you're doing well. Hope you've enjoyed the series through Joseph this week. Um, I know it's been a lot of fun for me. Today, we're actually picking up the next chapter uh, as we're going through Joseph's life. So this is going to be episode five of our mini series. And today we got quite a bit of ground to cover. We're actually going to be going through Genesis chapters 42, 43, 44, and 45. So we're taking a big leap today, but just trust me, we'll, we'll get there together. Uh, but first, just a quick recap of episode four. So at the end of chapter 41, Joseph is elevated to second in command over all of Egypt. And he's tasked with this responsibility of overseeing the saving and storing up of food so that when the famine comes, Egypt will be fine so that they'll be okay, even through the seven years of famine that are coming. And so finally, at, at that end, right, the, the tension around Joseph's survival in Egypt has been resolved. He's all good in that case. But now we find him coming up against another tension because this famine that's coming, it's going to affect far more than just Egypt, right? But Egypt is going to be the only country ready for it. They're going to be the only one with food stored up. So when it does hit, everyone's going to go there for help. Everyone, right? Including the very brothers who sold Joseph into slavery. It's a reunion that because of this famine is pretty much gonna be unavoidable. But the thing is, Joseph isn't just their little outnumbered, overmatched brother anymore. Now he's second in command to a superpower and he oversees the distribution of the only food available in the entire land. Joseph isn't in a place of weakness anymore. He's in a place of power. And so the question is, How will Joseph respond when his brothers who wronged him come before him? How will he treat them? That's where we pick this up at the end of Genesis uh, chapter 41 and moving into the beginning of 42, right? So the good years have come and gone and throughout them, Joseph stored up food. And then here at the beginning of chapter 42, the famine has already set in and word is beginning to spread that the only place for food in all of the land is Egypt. That's what we see at the beginning of 42. And I'll just read the start of that for us, uh, starting at verse one. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan, right? It's a famine that hit far more than just Egypt, and it includes Joseph's family. And so they're on the way down to Egypt to buy some food, right? This is exactly what we expected. And then in the very next couple of lines, it says this. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. And it actually says that Joseph recognizes them. As soon as he sees them, he knows who they are, right? And and at this point in the story, Joseph is about 37 years old, which means it's been 20 years 
since the day they sold him into slavery. And now here they are gathered around him, bowing before him. And it actually says that in this moment, he remembers the dreams from his youth, the ones from the first episode back in chapter 37, uh, where he dreamed about his brothers bowing down to him. Because in this moment, in a way that was completely unexpected for all of them, those dreams are being fulfilled. They're happening. But the thing is, while Joseph recognizes his brothers, they don't recognize him. They don't realize that they're talking to Joseph. And so Joseph, right, he's so overwhelmed with emotion when he sees them and he's not sure how to handle things that he doesn't reveal himself right away. But instead he kind of messes with them and he actually accuses them of being spies. And in defending themselves to him, they say this in verse 13. They say, we, your servants, are 12 brothers the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father and one is no more. And when they say this, right, this this has to mess with Joseph a little bit because they're talking about him. And so, you know, he's, he's all stirred up and he continues to mess with them, accusing them over and over again of being spies and that they're trying to harm Egypt. And, and so he actually has them all taken and put into jail. And he tells them that they're not gonna get out unless they send one of them to go back home and, and to get their youngest brother and to bring him there. Right? The youngest brother who we know to be Joseph's own little brother. Amongst the 12 of them, it's the only brother that Joseph has that's from the same mother. And so he puts them in jail for three days and then after the three days are over, he comes to them and he's, he's changed his mind a little bit. Instead of nine staying in custody and in jail while one goes, he says nine can go as long as one stays behind. Right? But the one who stays, he won't be released until the youngest brother comes, until they come back with him. And so this is what they do. They go back home. And, and while they're still kind of there talking before they leave um, and they're talking about this, they, they actually say this to each other right in front of Joseph in verse 21. They say it in their own language. And so they don't think Joseph can hear them because they think he's an Egyptian. They don't think he can understand them. Uh, But this is what it says. They say, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. And so Joseph hears all of this, right? He hears 20 years after the fact that what they did to him, that what they did to him, it's haunted them, that they've regretted it all of these years and that it hasn't left them, right? They haven't just forgotten about him. And when he hears all this, he turns away from them and he actually, he weeps. He breaks down just at at hearing his brothers discuss what they did to him. And then once he kind of gathers himself together again, he comes back and he takes Simeon, one of the brothers, and he has him bound right in front of them. He has him tied up. And then he sends the, the rest of them, the nine of them on their way. But before he does, without them knowing it, he accepts their payment and has their bags filled with grain. But then he puts their money back into their sacks, which, which they don't realize that he does that. And that ends up playing out in a pretty unfortunate way in the story. Because on the way back home, when one of them notices it, they're terrified because they think that Joseph is gonna think that they stole the money, that he's gonna think they're thieves, right? And Simeon, they still have him in jail. And so they're worried about what's gonna happen to their brother. Uh, And so it's just kind of bad news all over the place. Verse 28 actually says that when they saw this, it says, at this, their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this? 
that God has done to us. But they can't turn back then. So they keep going home to their father, Jacob, and they tell him everything that happened. And when he hears that Simeon won't be freed unless Benjamin goes, this is what he says. You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. In his mind, Simeon's already gone. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. And he refuses to let them go. He refuses to let them take Benjamin. Reuben tries to argue, but but he just won't budge. Jacob won't let Benjamin go, which, which puts things kind of in a stalemate because they know that without Benjamin, they can't go back. They can't return to Egypt. But what they don't know is that this famine isn't just a single season thing. They don't realize that this famine is gonna keep going and that it's not just gonna pass in a few months. They don't realize that this is a seven-year ordeal. And so after a little while, they end up running out of grain. They run out of food. And once again, the only place they can go to for help is Egypt. And so this time in chapter 43 now, instead of Reuben, Judah steps up and he speaks with Jacob and he persuades him to let them take Benjamin so they can go down and buy some food and maybe get Simeon back if he's still alive. And so forced because of the hunger and the threat of starvation, Jacob is dejected and and he's sorrowful. And you can tell that he doesn't have high hopes for this venture, but he lets them go and he lets them take Benjamin. And when they finally arrive in Egypt, it says that Joseph sees them coming. And it says that he, he sees Benjamin with them. And because he sees him, he goes away before they come to him and he has a meal prepared for uh, for him and for his brothers. Right? He has lunch prepared for all of them and he commands that, uh, gives the order for them to be brought into his house. And so they haven't seen Joseph yet, but when they arrive, right, they realize that, you know, they get met and they're being brought to his home and they don't understand what's happening. And when they realize they're being brought to his home, they're actually terrified because they think he knows about the money in their sacks. They, they think that everything is going to go wrong. They think that he thinks they're thieves and that he's going to attack them and put them in jail or worse. And so they get to the front door and Joseph Stewart is there and they basically collapse and confess everything about the money in their sacks. They just confess everything because they think that it's all about to go very badly for them. And you can get this kind of almost sense of hysteria and this panic that they're in the midst of. But, but then the steward replies to them and just says this, peace to you, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put the treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. And then he goes away and he brings out Simeon to them. Right? Simeon is still alive and they're not in trouble. And so now they're, they're relieved and they sense that they're about to, you know, the sense that they're about to face this horrible doom is gone. But now the question is, what's actually going on here? Why is this man bringing them to his home? What does he want with them? Why, why doesn't he just let them buy the grain and go? Well, what happens next is after they've been welcomed in and given water and their feet were washed and they were cared for and treated well, Joseph comes into the room and he appears before them. And when he sees his brother, Benjamin, he gets so overwhelmed with emotion that he actually turns and hurries out of the room and makes his way into his own private chamber where he just breaks down. He just breaks down weeping. And after a little while, he gets his composure back. He washes his face so they can't tell that he'd been crying and he makes his way back out to them. And then they eat together. They're at separate tables, but, but they're together. He has all of the, you know, his 11 other brothers, they all sit together at one table. 
And uh, he has them seated according to their birth order, which they're astounded at that somehow he knows their ages and that he can order them according to their, their birth order. And then he sits at a table just a little bit away from them and they just sit and they eat and they drink together. And one of the things that happens though, is he takes Benjamin and he has his spot at the table filled with five times the amount of food as everyone else. And so like they're surprised about the birth order and the seating and how he can do that. They're surprised about the five times amount of food for Benjamin and none of it's really making sense to them. And they're just beginning to wonder more and more about what's actually going on here and who this man is. But before Joseph is ready to answer that question for them, he has one more thing that he has to be certain of. One more thing that he has to see and to test. He has to know if they've changed. And so this is what he does. He has their sacks filled with the grain that they came down to get, but inside of Benjamin's sack, he adds something. He has his own silver cup placed within Benjamin's sack. And then in the morning, he sends them on their way. But before they get very far at all, he sends his steward after them to capture them and to bring them back because he says they stole from him, right? And so the steward catches up to them and stops them and accuses them of stealing. And they're, they're just upset at the accusation. And they say in their defense, we didn't steal from you. And if any of us have, if any one of us has stolen anything from you and from your master, then the one who's done it will die. And the rest of us will be your master's slaves. They, they make that promise because that's how certain they were that none of them stole because none of them did steal. But so it, it came as a surprise, right? When they took down their grain and the stewards started opening their sacks and looking and checking them. And when everyone saw that Benjamin's sack had Joseph's silver cup inside. And immediately they know what this means. And so they start tearing their clothes and they're overwhelmed at the significance of this and what this is gonna mean for Benjamin and for their father. And so they load up their donkeys and they ride back to the city and back to Joseph. And when they get there, Judah, the one who persuaded Jacob to let them go there in the first place, Judah walks up to Joseph and he just pleads with him saying, essentially, We'll all be your servants together. You take all of us. You don't just take him, take all of us. And then Joseph responds saying, far be that from me. I'm not gonna punish all of you. Only the one who stole from me, only he's gonna be my servant, only Benjamin. And then Judah, he goes up to Joseph even closer. So it seems like it's just the two of them talking and he pleads with him even more. He explains the story of why he needs to bring Benjamin back, of what the result will be to their father if Benjamin doesn't return. And then when he gets to the end of the story, he actually pleads with Joseph to take him instead. Judah willingly offers himself and begs Joseph to take him and to make him his slave instead of Benjamin. He offers himself in the place of his brother. And in that moment, Joseph sees what he needed to see. His brothers, they're not the same men they were 20 years ago. They're not the same anymore. And Joseph is so overwhelmed by emotion when he sees this and he understands and he, he sees that they're changed that he, he can't take it anymore. And so finally, he just reveals himself to his brothers. And as he does, he weeps. 
Again, he just breaks down crying so loudly that even those outside of the house can hear him. And his brothers, they don't know what to make of it at first, right? They're shocked and they're afraid and they're just in disbelief. But then Joseph keeps saying to them, uh, he actually says this, he says, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And he explains how the famine isn't just going to be over in a couple couple of months, but that this thing's going to go on for another five years. It's going to be seven years total. And he says, God sent me here before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And then he tells them to bring everyone else down to Egypt, to bring their father and everyone else in the household so they can live in Egypt and be provided for throughout the famine. And just like that, Joseph is finally reconciled to his family. He's reconciled to his brothers, to his father. After 20 years, he finally has his family back. And what's interesting is, you know, what, what, what's interesting is what brings about that reconciliation. Because if we look at the story and if we see and just look at what Joseph needed to see before he was willing to reveal himself, we see that there's really two pieces to it, right? And the first is that Joseph had to forgive them. And we see that he gets there. And, and he, honestly, he might even have gotten there before they even came. But also, in order for reconciliation, he needs to be able to trust them as well. And the thing is, while he's forgiven them, he's not willing to trust them until he's seen their repentance. He's not willing to trust them and be reconciled until he's seen their repentance, that they have changed. And I just think that's a really interesting formula, right? That as followers of Christ, we're called to forgive. We're called to forgive everyone because we too have received forgiveness. And so it should cause us to extend it in our own lives to those who have hurt us, those who have offended us. But the thing is, forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation because we can forgive someone without necessarily being reconciled to them. But what this story seems to imply is that true reconciliation requires repentance. And so I think think if there are a couple of questions for us to take away from this, they'd be around this idea, right? That first, is there someone you're withholding forgiveness from? Because as followers of Christ, the truth is we don't need someone to repent before we forgive them. And we, we should forgive them whether or not they do repent ever, right? That, that's what we're called to. But there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And when it comes to reconciliation, the questions are, right, is there someone who has repented that we have refused to be reconciled with? Is there someone who has repented that we have refused to be reconciled with? And then the opposite of that would be, is there someone we keep trying to reconcile with who really isn't repenting? Is there someone that we keep trying to reconcile with who really isn't repenting? Because what we're called to is forgiveness and to be at peace with uh, with all of those as much as we can. But what this story seems to indicate is that reconciliation without repentance isn't always the best thing. And so let me just encourage you. I don't know your story, but I just want you to know that it's okay to set boundaries We're called to the work of forgiveness and we need to forgive. We have to, but forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation. And sometimes boundaries need to be set. And I just want you to hear that it's not wrong for you to do that. 
If someone has sinned against you, not just offended you, not just stepped on your toes, but if someone has actually sinned against you habitually, if there's a pattern of doing that, it's not wrong for you to set boundaries. You need to forgive them, but without repentance, you don't need to be reconciled. And I just want you to hear that. All right, so that's today's episode. Tomorrow's is really a closing resolution to the story, right? Joseph has been brought back together with his brothers. They've been reconciled. But what remains to be seen is his reunion with his father and how things will continue to go with Joseph and his brothers as we come to the end of the book of Genesis. So to finish the story, tune back in tomorrow. Thanks for listening today. I hope you're doing well. We'll be back tomorrow with the next and final episode as we wrap up our series to the life of Joseph. So stay tuned.